Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The Jane Addams Resource Corporation provides free manufacturing training in welding, computerized machining, and mechanical assembly. Each training program is integrated with support services, including financial literacy, employment coaching, and job placement assistance. Training is available in the Ravenswood, Austin, and Chatham neighborhoods of Chicago. All training sites are currently enrolling new applicants. Visit jane-adams.org to sign up for an application to learn more about how to start your new career today. That's jane-adams-a-d-d-a-m-s.org. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. Irvin said he opposes abortion, but declined to clarify several important points. Pro-life. Any exceptions for rape, incest, the life of the mother? You know, there, there's always exceptions: rape, incest, life of the mother. You know, things. You would allow abortion considered. in those circumstances. You would allow abortion in those circumstances. I think we're done. The campaign, of course, <laughs> is not done. It's just getting going. <laughs> Okay, this got really hard. We're done. <laughs> That's hilarious. We got to ask Monroe about that one. That is hilarious. We should play that for every guest. I wish I could have done that in high school, like taking an algebra test like ah, that number nine's a doozy. I'm out of here. I got to go. If you could treat your algebra test the way Richard Irvin treats troublesome questions, irksome questions from irritating reporters like <laughs> Michael Flannery. <laughs> got to go. Uh-oh, wait, I'm looking at my watch. Very important business appointment I had, Flannery, that I did not tell you about. Oh, got to go. Oh, the bus is coming. Flannery, I haven't given you enough love for that one. That was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I got the bus tracker. The bus is two minutes away. Okay. Your Ben Jarosky Show for Wednesday, February 9th, is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke, and so much more, including columns. Oh, Ben's fake smoking pot right now, guys. <laughs> including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. And if you want to help out this program, you can. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A. V is in victory. S-K-Y. Oh, Ben, the bus is here. Hey, let us in. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. It is Wednesday, February 9th. And this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, legendary Chicago journalist, Mighty Monroe Anderson. And now your host, Chicago Raider columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this the Mitch Maneuver Wednesday, and here's why. Mitch in that question, of course, is Mitch McConnell, head of the Republicans in the Senate, 
in each of the Republicans into the Senate when Michael Joseph Madigan was for many years to Democrats in the House here in Illinois. And I got a big kick out of this because Republicans uh, in Illinois, including Kenny G, Ken Griffin, Chicago Tribune editorial board, every Jim Durkin, the head of the Republicans, literally the head of the Republicans um, legislature, which is Mike Bost. How can we forget Mike Bost when he was a state rep? Now he's a congressman. I'm sick of it. All of them. I'm giving Dennis time to find it. I, I know I've been with this man for so long. I know he's looking for that. I'm sick of it. Well, now the secret to it is that you got to wait for everybody to forget about it. And then you play it. So That's keep going. Point. Keep going. Okay. Uh, where was it? Oh, yes. Republicans are sick of it. When Michael Joseph Madigan plays his legislative games, showing his complete and utter control of every bill, every proposal <laughs> at the, in the state house, and using it to get more power, Republicans are outraged. Humps, the, the Tribune writing editorial after editorial. Bruce Rauner dedicated four years and millions of dollars to tarnishing the reputation of Michael Joseph Madigan. No I'm one would ever hear heard of him. Every we give power to one person. There we go. You know, most Chicagoans, I said this at the outset, they are paying attention to what's going down in Springfield, the General Assembly. They're not paying attention to state politics. They're apparently paying attention to the city council. The one thing a Chicago voter knows is his or her alderman, if they know anybody. They don't know their state reps. So they would never have known about Michael Joseph Madigan if it wasn't for the Tribune and Rounder making him such an evil guy. And, you know, you guys got brainwashed. I don't like him. I don't like him. I'm an Illinois voter. <laughs> I don't like him. Everything Michael Joseph Madigan did in the Illinois House, Mitch McConnell does in the U.S. Senate. So I ask you, MAGA. I ask you, Kenny G. Ken Griffin. I ask you, Chicago Tribune Editorial Board. If you hate it so much with Michael Joseph Madigan, and Mike Boss, I ask you this as well. Why do you love it when Mitch McConnell does it? I know why you love it. Because it's a political partisan game. Duh. And Mitch McConnell is using it to advance his cause, which is your cause, which is, in the case of Kenny G, making sure you don't pay taxes, and Dennis does. That's essentially the policy that Kenny G follows. The less the rich guy pays, the more the broke guy pays. I'm sick of it. <laughs> well done, doctor. So anyway, uh, Mitch McConnell's the maestro of Senate rules, arcane Senate rules that nobody understands. You know, we, we have a lot of fun, by the way, uh, when Dave Glowatz comes onto the show of going through the arcane rules that govern procedure in the Chicago City Council. And, and ladies and gentlemen, it, it, it's pretty intense. It's pretty intricate. Like, so Dave will pe play those clips that show Anthony Beal dueling with Lori Lightfoot over parliamentary procedure. Brendan Riley, the alderman for the 42nd Ward, will weigh in like he's an expert. Everybody's an expert. You know, like, no, you can do it. This is not proper procedure. You're out of order. I am in order. You're out of order. <laughs> Nobody knows. I, I'm not following. I'm following taking notes. I'm supposed to know, but really it's hard to keep up. So that's Chicago City Council, which is not considered, I don't know. I shouldn't say that. Let's amend that. I don't, I don't mean to say they weren't as, like the smartest legislative branch in the world. But 
they're not known like the uh, you like the House of Representatives here in Illinois with Michael Joseph Madigan controlling everything, <laughs> burying things in committee. The point is, if you control the process, you control what gets voted on, you control what becomes a law, and you keep people in line because they have to come up to you time and time again and kiss your ring to get what they want passed. And uh, so McConnell has uh, has mastered it in the Senate. He's used it to the advantage of the Republican Party. He's used it to the advantage of uh, the rich people who fund the Republican Party. That's what it's all about with Republicans. I mean, they'll say they care things about mask mandates, but that's just a rabble out there, MAGA. They don't really care about you. They use you to get a tax break. Duh, come on, wake up, MAGA. So anyway, uh, Mitch McConnell, uh, saw this in my newspaper today. There it is. Headline. Oh, that is a newspaper. Yes, it's a newspaper. You know, D, I'm starting to rethink the whole newspaper thing, by the way. Finally. I had a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Waiting for this I, moment. I, I was like, I went for a walk. I'm like, why do I still subscribe to a newspaper? I'm reading more and more online anyway. Mm, let me think about this. But knowing me, it'll be like five years before I eventually act on this thought, Monroe Anderson has joined us. Monroe Anderson has joined us. He's waiting in the wings. So he's going to get to listen to me uh, finish this up. So the newspaper has a story. New York Times has a story. Party censors earn a rebuke by McConnell. And uh, Senator Mitch McConnell, the minority leader, pushed back hard on Tuesday against the Republican Party's censure of Representatives Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger and its characterization of the January 6th riot as, quote, legitimate political discourse, end quote, saying the riot was, quote, violent insurrection. The remarks from Mr. McConnell, the normally taciturn Kentucky Republican, added to a small but forceful chorus of GOP lawmakers who've decried the action that the Republican National Committee took on Friday when it officially rebuked Cheney and Kinzinger uh, for participating in the House investigation of the January 6th attack, accusing them of, quote, and I, this is the Republican National Committee, ladies and gentlemen, persecuting ordinary citizens engaged in legitimate political discourse. So did Mitch McConnell suddenly wake up yesterday and have this like consciousness raising moment where he saw the world as it was and goes, oh, my God, we have linked ourselves to violent insurrectionists who will over want to overturn democracy as we know it. And I must take a courageous stand because it's the right thing to do. And I am in politics to do the right thing, even if it hurts me politically. Do you, ladies and gentlemen, think that Mitch McConnell did that? If you did, you are dumber than the average Chicago voter who voted for Rahm Emanuel in 2015 because he heard a commercial from Barack Obama or Rahm said, I'm putting on a sweater. When asked Monroe, who's dumber, MAGA or a Chicago voter? Anyway, in my humble opinion, this is all a maneuver by Mitch McConnell to offset potential, potentially difficult issues facing his Republican members in the Senate. He wants to win the Senate back in November. And he was looking pretty good to win that Senate back in November until the Republican National Committee in its, I don't know what to say, active idiocy decided to defend the insurrectionists. And so he had to take a stand against the insurrectionists to protect his members who are up for reelection in November. So yes, it was a political move 
by the maestro, the maestro of political moves. And it does not mean, ladies and gentlemen, that he suddenly woke up and goes, hmm, our nation is under threat. Our democracy is being challenged. I must take a bold stand. No, it's to get more power so he could use it to do things like, number one, quash the investigation into whether Donald Trump was responsible for the January 6th insurrection. Let's not forget that Mitch McConnell, the same Mitch McConnell, who yesterday got before the reporters and said that was a travesty for the Republican National Committee to uh, issue that resolution. That same Mitch McConnell is the one who buried an attempt to have a bipartisan investigation into January 6th. So that's what he was up to, in my humble opinion. And now I'm going to bring on the legendary Monroe Anderson to see if he agrees with me. And I have a feeling that maybe this will be one of those moments where Monroe Anderson, the legendary columnist for the Chicago Sun-Times, back in the day, Tribune, Press Secretary Eugene Sawyer, a writer just finished doing a whole chapter on uh, Eugene Sawyer's mayoral candidacy. Maybe Monroe Anderson will say, no, Ben, you're wrong. You've gone too far. Mitch McConnell is a great statesman who's looking out for the interest of American democracy. So Monroe, without further ado, I will turn it over to you. <clears throat> yes or no? Is Mitch McConnell a great statesman? Who is concerned about American democracy? Take it away, Monroe Anderson. <laughs> Are you practicing your stand-up comedian job? <laughs> Mitch, Mitch McConnell is in a battle with Donald Trump over control leadership of the Republican Party. And Trump is winning. So Mitch is trying to figure out how to turn that around. So therefore, uh, he wants the investigation. He's, he said as much. He wants the January 6th investigation to continue because we should know the truth. And um, he wants Trump to go down. They, they haven't spoken to each other in more than a year. Wow. Yeah, they have had no conversation whatsoever. So... Um, no, it's, he, he's doing this to, to try and get the control back. Yeah, I always love it when the phone rings in the middle of one of these conversations. Yeah. That's probably Mitch McConnell calling up to complain. All right, we, we have a lot to talk about today, Monroe. I wrote all these things down. Uh, I can barely read my writing. I mean, news is breaking as we speak about uh, the absurd going ons in Trump land. I just this this story just broke. A Michigan prosecutor says Rudy Giuliani asked him to hand over voting machines. Uh, there was <laughs> voting machines in question, so he just said, "Give us the voting machines." This is back in two thousand when they were counting uh, ballots in Michigan. Just give us, meaning the Trump campaign, the voting machines. Uh, that article just broke uh, in the Washington Post. Well, said, yeah, that's just one article. I mean, that's been. We reported for the last week. Unbelievable. Or about them, with them um, sending out a, a letter to, in, in all the key states that would have gotten Trump the uh, election that he wanted, who gave him the electoral college. They had these going out. They also had um, shadow electors. Mm, yeah. In, in, in each of these states, some of them actually sh showed up. Some didn't get in. I think it was in Wisconsin. 
but this, I mean, this, it, it is so obvious that this was a, a, an obvious coup attempt. Yeah. Not accidental. The January 6th was part of it. No, I, all right, we, we, let's hold off on all this stuff. Uh, be, be, but just to, but just to finish up with Mitch McConnell, I just want to say yeah. one more yeah. time. Yeah. He quashed any effort to have this be a bipartisan investigation. In the Senate, well, he's, thread, he's trying to thread the needle. I understand he's yeah, threading the needle, but yeah, exactly. It's important that people understand this is a game he's playing, and he's trying to get his cake and eat it too. Right, exactly. Uh, he, he 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 doesn't want to lose MAGA. Right. At the same time, he doesn't want to look as though he's with Trump in the insurrection. So he's trying to delicately walk this line. Uh, and uh, we'll see if it works. All right. He's shameless. That's the thing is that you, you've got to remember it, that McConnell is shameless. Yeah. And and the part of the show that I opened with, uh, Monroe, before you came on, was I was just contrasting the outrage uh, that Republicans in the state of Illinois have expressed for many years over Michael Joseph Madigan, uh, the House Speaker, the Democrat, who used many of the same tactics of, of ultimate power over his institution to push his agenda. Remember how outraged Republicans were over that? This, your old employer, the Chicago Tribune, would just get so red in the face whenever yeah. they just mentioned the name Michael Madigan. And they look the other way or McConnell, a bunch of hypocrites. All right, Monroe, what I really want to get to talk to you about, I've been waiting to talk to you about this for a while. Yeah. Uh, is Joe Rogan and the fallout over Joe Rogan. Yeah. And Joe Rogan, uh, as everybody knows, is the most popular podcaster in America. If not, the, okay. I don't know if he's the most, I should have meant that one of the most, just think about that. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the most popular, Popular podcasters in America. And one of the best paid. One of the best paid. Yes, absolutely. His reach is extensive. Millions and millions of people listen to him. Spotify paid him $100 million to come on. Hugely, hugely influential and popular podcaster in America today. And um, as such, as a Bernie supporter, I must confess this, Monroe, when Bernie went on the Joe Rogan show in 2020, or was it 2019? I can't remember which. I was like, yes, Bernie's message is going to get out to all those Roganites out there in Roganland, and they'll hear him talk about the need for health care for all. And even though maybe many of them trend MAGA, they'll go, I want to vote for Bernie because I like what he's saying. That's how delusional I was. I make fun of Chicago voters. I'm as dumb as you are, Chicago voters. So anyway, Monroe. They didn't feel the burn? <laughs> no, they didn't feel the burn. Oh, and, and Rogan threw Bernie under the bus when it was all over. Uh, see, I know you don't listen to Rogan, uh, Monroe, or follow him, but but when it was over, after Bernie was on the show, Bernie tweeted out, I was uh, really happy, thank you, I forget what he tweeted, but something like, thank you, Joe Rogan, for having me on your show. Uh, he was trying to make it seem like being on the show was like getting an endorsement from Joe Rogan, you know what I'm saying, Monroe? Right. Uh, and then Joe Rogan was like, I didn't endorse him, I just had him on the show. I may vote for Trump. <laughs> oh, man, throw Bernie under the bus, Rogan. <laughs> Uh, do you think those millions and millions of people that are listening to Rogan want to hear him say that he's going to vote for Bernie instead of Trump? Uh, yeah, <laughs> no. <his> audience. <laughs> yes. I don't think they wanted to hear him say that he was going to vote for Bernie. 
Uh, you're absolutely correct. Now, I, they I, said, I, I, I would, I, I would bet you ten thousand dollars that most of them think that um, Trump won the election. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, Joe Rogan has gotten into hot water. We've talked about this on the show uh, on many fronts. The number the first time he got in hot water was uh, over the misinformation that various guests on the Joe Rogan show have been offering as to the vaccine, masks, COVID, et cetera, and so forth. And uh, he was free to say whatever he wanted when he was on YouTube. He comes on the Spotify and it's like getting $100 million and they up the game on him. And so uh, he's got to back off. So he gave sort of a quasi apology. Uh, and then uh, it was, I guess it was the singer Indy R.E. Uh, got a hold of a, a group of clips from past Joe Rogan show where he uh, freely used uh, the N-word. And I should just point out, if you didn't know this, uh, Joe Rogan uh, is a white man. And uh, he really, Monroe, got off on saying the word, almost like Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. You know, in Pulp Fiction, if you remember Pulp right. Fiction, right? And and they so Quentin wasn't saying it. Um, Jackson was saying it. Well, the Quentin Tarantino character did say it in Pulp Fiction, but that was twenty years ago. So here's my yeah, question: I'm Samuel L. Jackson said it, not Quentin. No, in Pulp Fiction. Uh, wait a minute, am I getting my movies mixed up, or is it uh, all of a sudden it could be a senior moment? Uh, I'm pretty sure Quentin Tarantino plays a role in the movie where he says it. But let's put that aside for the moment. Here's my question for you. And um, you are our our show's resident expert on uh, white people uh, because you've lived among them and worked among them for all these years. So we turn to you for help. Almost 50 years. (laughs) (laughs) Almost 50 years. So Monroe, help me out here. I need help on this one. Why do white people, particularly white men, want to be able to use the N-word so much? What, what is it about that word that attracts there are, them to there, it? There are, there are two, two types. It's not a one-size-fits-all. There are those whose daddy used it, and granddaddy used it, and great-granddaddy used it, and great-great-great-daddy used it. <laughs> and when they say it, they, they, don't, they don't use it in a nice way. They mean it to be derogative. Then the other group are the white boys who have black friends, who want to be hip, who um, hear Jay-Z use it, and... Um, um, God, I'm blocking his name. The comedian. Um, uh, anyway, uh, you mean Dave Chappelle? Yeah, Dave Chappelle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dave Chappelle. And so they just want to be hip, and so they use it to show that they they're they're blue eyed soul brothers or something. That's really weird. I think your analysis is spot on. By the way. Uh, and I guess there's a combination of both, and and please res- help me with this one. Who think that somehow or other, and I'm I'm going to do my best to like go into their mindset. It's unfair 
it's like a form of reverse racism and it's like discrimination that black people get to say it right. and white people don't. Right. You know what I mean, Monroe? It's yeah, like, no, no, that's no, really no. unfair. Right. <laughs> like, what? what? Help me with this one, Monroe. I need help on this one. Why would that be unfair? I Because of white privilege. <laughs> they ought to be able to say whatever they want. Let me, let, let me tell you something. I don't think I've ever told you this before. But my children grew up in Lincoln Park. And most of their friends were white because they grew up in Lincoln Park. And what I would do what early, on, early, early in their development, we would be places at stores or something like that. And what I noticed is that white children ran wild throughout the store, like they owned it or something. Whereas the way I was raised, the way most black people raise their children is children should be seen and not heard. And so if they were running around the store, their parents would yank them aside, <laughs> tell them to stay still, um, depending on their social economic dis, uh, position, and may call them little niggers or something themselves. Uh, what I've determined in watching that was that I wanted my sons to feel like they could run the world too. So I let them run wild just like the white kids. And most of the time that worked, although there was one incident where um, my son and one of his friends was at a, a bookstore in Lincoln Park. And um, they were looking at books. And there was this white cop there who, who was security. He was off duty. But he was basically, his eyes were following them the whole time as they moved through the store. You know, I just stood there and watched him watch them. And I said, well, he can look all he wants, but he better not act crazy. Uh, so, you know, there's a, a risk at a black kid. The point I'm making it is there's always a danger for a black kid acting white. In fact, I think, was that Chappelle that had a, a comedy route? Uh, yeah, it was um, Chappelle, I think. And there's one comedy routine where he's riding around in a car with his white friend and his white friend are saying all sorts of things when, when he stopped by a cop. Oh no, you're uh, yeah, it is Chappelle. It's hilarious. Yeah. And yeah, it's, right. He's his, his white friend chip and the way chip talks to a cop. Exactly. And, the way, uh, and, exactly. So, like, and he's expecting him to get shot or something. And the cop is yeah. just ignoring him. Right. No, the, no, he goes up, to, but, but I mean, I, oh my God, I can go on to the real life. Uh, Chip yeah. goes up to the cop and uh, he says, I'm sorry, officer, uh, but I am, I'm just so high on marijuana right now. So, oh my, I remember I could go on and on and about this, but I'll, I'll let it go, but my father once got into a fight with a cop verbal fight and i just told him you know you if you were a black man you would be dead right now right yes he was outraged man right and the cop was laughing at him because he was just an old man you know what right, i mean exactly. like, he's right. just like well oh, stop right it. right no uh, because it was a white cop and so your your father reminded him of his father 
Whereas it had been my father, he reminded him to be a cop or somebody that, but he he put in jail last week or something. Yeah, that's a, that's a valid point. Now I got to get back to something you said because this is really important. You said something, and I wrote it down. I want you to uh, go into detail a little bit about. It. I hadn't thought of this. So you were talking about those white kids, uh, and so this would have been in their eighties. Uh, excuse me, 90s. Yeah, 90s. Uh, who were running around with your sons at that yeah. bookstore, which if I know that book, I've got a feeling it's that bookstore that used to be on Clybourne, but whatever. Uh, and um, Yeah, it's there still were, there. It's a, in, in the Webster, where the Webster Theater is. Oh, different. No, you're, the, you're at the Barnes & Noble bookstore. Yeah, Barnes okay. And Noble. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. It's literally right. Yeah, it's right down yeah. the street from where you live. Okay. Um, so I, I was thinking of a different bookstore in Lincoln Park. Uh, so anyway, uh you were saying that these kids, you, you watched this, this behavior uh, and uh, you saw the white kids running around and you, you said, well, you know what? I'm going to let uh, my sons participate that way because I want them to feel like one day they will run the world. And so you, in that comment, Monroe, uh, and I want you to elaborate more on it, you drew an immediate correlation between a young white kid or that's redundant, a, a, a white youngster, age eight, nine, ten, right. running around a bookstore, uh, having us yeah, feeding yeah. a sense of entitlement that one day he will run the world. Explain, right. elaborate more on that. Okay, that he is free to do whatever he wants, uh, whenever he wants to, because... White privilege. He's he's entitled to do this, and why? They, they, I can give you a, a better example, another example, not a better one. But uh, Joyce was at um, the, the park in our neighborhood with our, our with our son he, at the time. He now this is he's four or five years old or something, and there is this white kid there who not only is talking back the same age, not only is talking back to his mother, but he kicks her on her shin. Yeah. And she's, and she's saying, now you better stop. And you don't, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, she didn't even threaten to take him home. She just, you know, she was begging him not to mistreat her. And that's because, you know, and, and, and this is, this is oversimplification, but, White mothers, women, raise their sons to run the world too. I mean, they they just this is so white 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 men just they naturally believe that they're in charge of everything because that's how they're raised, that's how they're treated. It's it's it's, it's an interesting concept. Uh, and uh, did you let your kids when they were ten, twelve, etc., thirteen? Uh, address adults by first name, uh, or would you insist that they call them? Yeah, you know, no, I, Mr. Jarofsky yeah, or yeah, right, right. No, I let them address, you know, unless the person wanted to be that way, you know, would be addressed that way. But, but um, our group of friends were um, liberal. We we didn't ha- we didn't have any future MAGA people. <laughs> Among the group, so, so yeah, so you know, and I and 
most of our neighbors were liberal. So that was, that wasn't a problem. Yeah. I I still have um uh, kids that uh they're not kids adults that I coached when when they were uh, 8 9 10 11 12 13 who call who just won't call me Ben. They just they it's it's uh, Mr. Ben. Oh yeah, no, because you were the authority figure in their life. So of course not as a coach. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the word authority is in <laughs> in quotes. Can I just tell you that I was the most non-authoritarian authoritarian character you could what, what, imagine. What were, you, what were you coaching? What sport? You named it. You name it. Football, track, cross country. I love coaching. Okay, I well, when you were, you were coaching football. You told them you've got to block this way, or you've got to block that way, or you need to throw the ball. So that was your authority. I Not get it. Shut up and sit down, and, you know, or you get to you, yeah. you 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 get to be the lead quarterback, and you who would like to be the lead quarterback, you get to sit on the bench and watch the other guy <laughs> quarterback. So the, uh, I mean, authority in that sense, not in okay, march left, right, <laughs> that type of thing. No. Yeah. No, I um, I grew up in a very uh, a strict household in many ways, uh, and uh, so I saw which exactly what you're um, describing, Monroe. When my generation had kids. Uh, and the latitude and the freedom that uh, baby boomer parents, white baby boomer parents gave their kids in regards to the rest of the world. Uh, and it, it was a different upbringing than the one I had. That's just uh, put it mildly. By the way, I just want to say one thing. I briefly, very briefly, it was a substitute coach for double Dutch uh, a jump rope, which I know nothing about. Proving you could coach absolutely oh, I can, anything. I can, I can see you in there jumping to the beat right now, bitch. You're not fooling me. I'm like, uh, all right, let's go. Let's, let's everybody go. Went to my coach, like assistant coach, because I had a, they, the soccer coach couldn't make it. I didn't, I got everything wrong. The kids were really nice. Coach, that's not how you do it. The kids were so sweet. You can coach the coach. Uh. <laughs> you just got to show up for coaching. All right, we're far afield here, but let's go back to uh, uh, Joe Rogan. Uh, so I think that's a pretty good explanation. Okay, yeah, let's impulse. go back to the to, to nigger, okay? The, the use of the word. Okay. The other thing, what the younger because in my generation as a general rule is not comfortable with the use of the word period because of because of what it, it had meant um the younger generation uh jay-z and people and, and 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 Chappelle and people younger what they've done is they've tried to disempower the word by using it all the time, it doesn't have the um, the, the uh, power to to hurt people. So that's why they do it. You know, they just what they've done is they've claimed the word to be their own. And so when they use nigger, a lot of times they're talking about some white person, either fondly or or derogatorily, depending on who the white person is. So, you know, and I'm, I, you know, and, and of course, Dick Gregory was the first person 
He named his book Nigger. I have a copy of that book on my shelf. Okay. And, uh, yeah. And so Rogan in his uh, apology. Yeah. Which we'll get into that. Yeah. T- talked a little bit the, what, the way you're talking about how, you know, part of it, the, they took it out of context uh, with those little clips, they mushed together a bunch of ins, uh, moments when he said the word, uh, and he was trying to make, make a larger point at the in those uh, interviews, excuse me, in those shows about how like Red Fox used it in the seventies, and um, Lenny Bruce used it in his stand-up bits in the fifties and early sixties, uh, and I, I disagree. I I saw the clips, or at least a couple of them. And it just, he was just loving, luxuriating and using the word to like rub his nose at the political correct police. Right. Do you follow what I'm saying? Right. And, and, and that and was his also, point. Yeah, go ahead. And, and to the glee of his audience. Yes, to the glee of his audience. So like, why are you apologizing for something that you're, you don't want to apologize for it. You get what I'm saying? It's like somebody who's taking a stand against quote unquote. Because he's a hundred million dollars. <laughs> That's why. A <laughs> hundred million reasons. Right, exactly. He did the math. <laughs> and he said, I got some explaining to do, Lucy. <laughs> you know, so I guess really the question is to Spotify. Uh, Guys, did you ever think you might get in trouble putting them out there? You know, I mean. Well, I heard one theory about that while it was being discussed. And their theory was that the people at Spotify, who run Spotify, probably don't even listen to his show. So they didn't know what the hell he was saying. (laughs) Because they didn't care. They just wanted the audience. That's all they were looking for was the the, uh, eyeballs. I, I, I have to say. If you did back in the day a routine clip, uh, YouTube, and I've done a few of these over the years. You know how you go down the YouTube rabbit hole. I don't know if you ever yeah. do this, but I do this yeah. a lot. Yeah, uh, I, I waste a lot of time too. doing this. Yeah. And so if you just, I started looking at Joe Rogan clips, and one if leads to another, to another, to another, and I quickly became stumbled on the ones where he and his his. Uh, uh, white friends were giggling over using the n-word you know what i'm saying so it's not like it's hidden so you spotify executives must have really well, you know, it's like with, with, with imus it's the same remember imus and the nappy-headed hose yeah comment? yeah well, he you said know, that over right. radio and got fired right exactly you know exactly uh he was speaking about and, the, and the Rutgers over, rogan may may bite the dust you know he's not scot-free yet i don't know we'll get into that I, I don't know. So uh, so no sooner did Rogan make this apology where he said it was the greatest mistake, his greatest embarrassment he ever had. Yeah, didn't he say, I didn't mean to call those niggas niggas? <laughs> you not say that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he did not say that. He made an apology. He goes, I'm really sorry for my heart. I, I, this is the most shameful moment of my life. And then the, he, he comes on the air yesterday and he goes, uh, it was a political hit job. Wait a minute. What is it? I mean, either you're, you're right. you know. Well, he was, he was sorry one day and not so sorry the next. Yeah. 
And and then this, and I got to get your thoughts on this. Well, time out. So you don't, what do you believe who is more sincere? Joe Rogan, when he says he was sorry for using the N-word, or Mitch McConnell, when he says he's outraged by the Republican National Committee calling it legitimate political discourse, the insurrection. Who is more sincere? Monroe Anderson, take that one. Easy, easy, easy. It's a tie. (laughs) (laughs) What a bunch of insincere people. Anyway, uh, so he immediately backtracks. Uh, and then weighing in is uh, Donald Trump, who essentially called him a wuss, called Joe Rogan a wuss for apologizing and says he has nothing to apologize for. So I guess apparently uh, Donald Trump is endorsing uh, white people using the N word if Joe Rogan has nothing to apologize for. You know, and I, I find that shocking because I can't imagine Donald Trump having ever 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 use the word himself so so I, why why he's forgiving for for rogan i don't understand that well this i wrote a column about this dealing with anti-jewish comments yeah. and um so the left uh is critical of israel's policy and i understand that completely okay yeah. i'm not but sometimes monroe seems like to get really into criticizing Jews. You know what I'm saying? It's like they go and I'm, and then as you say, Hey, you know, you guys are really enjoying criticizing Jews a lot. Just saying. And then they go, how dare you accuse me of being, I don't have an anti-Semitic bone in my, you can criticize Israel without criticizing Jews. I never, it's just outrageous that you would say that. I'm thinking all the times in my life where I heard somebody make a derogatory comment about Jews, okay? You know what I mean, Monroe? Mm -hmm. And then these leftists act as though they've never heard it in their life. And when I think of them, when I think of, like, white guys who just deny that there's anything remotely racist about what they say or if they've ever heard it like you just said about Donald Trump you follow what I'm saying Monroe exactly but you've probably been sheltered to some degree haven't you from just ordinary blatant racist comments around the water fountain or have you not been uh, sheltered Uh, well at the first 18 years of my life I was sheltered because I wasn't around any white people and, and, of course, and, and black people do use the word. You know, I mean, there's. I, I, uh, when I was at Ebony, this one woman who, who was a secretary there, uh, she she uses this term. She, uh, she uh, just because she was pissed off about something. Niggers and flies, I do despise. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so black people use it. Uh, because it, it, I think it's defensive, you know, with the older generation, because they were so attacked by it. Now, of course, you had, God, what's his name? Um, John, he wrote 12 Years of Slave. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, that was John Ridley. Yeah, John uh, Ridley, yeah. Mm-hmm. John, John Ridley did a whole essay, maybe 20 years ago, about how there were black people and there were niggers. And of course, niggers were the poor people who acted poorly and badly or something. Um, and part of what's happening with the white supremacist movement now 
is that that that's one of the distinctions they try to make. You know, you have the, the Oprahs and the Michael Jordans, but then you got you got millions of niggas. You got you know three or four people that um, okay because they're superhuman or whatever, are very rich, but then you just got niggers, and it's the niggers they don't like. Uh, yeah, I um, wow. You can get in a lot of trouble. I just want to say this. That's Monroe Anderson talking, not me. I'm going to make that really clear. That last little riff, that was Monroe Anderson. Uh, yeah, I. Uh, by the way, Monroe, if Joe Rogan were to call you up and ask you to come on his show, would you do it? Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'd do it. I'd do it. Yeah, I'd do it. A hundred million people get to hear you? Right. And well, not only that, but um, I, I would, I, I would ma- ma- mind matching wits with them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just, uh, just, just to see how they that would go. Because I, I wouldn't say what his people would want to hear. Now, I, I, as you know, I fought with um, Trump nuts for the last five years, and one of their defenses was to call me a racist because I said. <laughs> Because I said what they didn't want to hear, and so I was I was racist. Or and when I wasn't just an out and out racist, I was playing the race card. Yeah, I mean, they are so sheltered. You know, the one guy I was getting in a fight with him about something, and he was um, spousing the, the typical stuff, and he's from the south. So I said to him. And I'll bet that you were raised um, referring to the Civil War as the War of Northern Aggression. And that shut him up (laughs) out of the conversation right away. Because that's how he was raised. No, there was, I'd probably say this for uh, uh, next week. Uh, I just wrote a column, and I don't think it's come out yet in the reader, where I quoted uh, a passage from a Virginia textbook on slavery and I read it uh, in Gene Lyons uh, columns to give him a shout out Monroe you got to read it to believe it the most passive uh, explanation of what slavery was I just unbelievable and this is you know know. and this is where they're trying to get back to right now this is this is where they're trying to get back to, where okay, it's it wasn't bad. They, they were happy slaves, uh, being in being in slavery in the U.S. is better than being in Africa. We did yeah. you a favor, you know that sort of thing. Yeah, now that that's the mentality that we're that that Trump has has reintroduced. You know, it's always been there, and in fact, we just barely gotten beyond it. To where people were beginning to feel guilty about it, and um, now we're back there. All right. Uh, so, speaking of Trump, let's talk a little bit about. Let's move away from Joe Rogan. And Joe, by the way, if you ever want to invite me and Monroe on, either one of us, we're we'll come on. Okay, yeah. absolutely. Oh, we'll double team you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll laugh at your jokes yeah. unless they're. The N word jokes, then we're not going to laugh. No, but the, oh, just before we leave, his uh, 
Planet of the Apes joke was so offensive, and he right. knew it when he said it. It oh, was yeah. offensive, you know. Well, so, although he claims now he didn't realize it was offensive. At the time, if you watch the full clip, he goes, so I'm I not just. I'm sure he meant it, you know. No, but at the time, at the, watch yeah. the clip while he's laughing, he goes, That was racist. What I just said was racist. Right. Uh, see, they delighted. I mean, that was where they were going, Monroe. They were delighting and going where nobody could go because they were showing how much disregard they had for political correctness. And now all of a sudden, he's. Yeah, saying, because, you know, he's a shock jock. He's a, he's, a, he's a shock jock, you know. I mean, that's how they make their money, by saying outrageous things. All right, let's go to uh, something that you told me before uh, we uh, started doing this uh, interview. I haven't seen it this because I don't watch MSNBC uh, on a regular basis. But there was a poll that you said that MSNBC had conducted or purported on. I don't know if they yeah, conducted Yeah, this morning. Well, yeah, a couple of hours I, ago. All right. Uh, so tell tell folks what the poll said, and then we'll take a little, uh, just do a little talk about it. Go ahead. Uh, sh- sh- a year ago, this time a year ago, fifty three percent of Americans thought that Donald Trump was responsible for the violence and insurrection on January sixth. That number has dropped to it was 53%, then now it's dropped to 42%, I think. I'm going back. I didn't write it down, so I'm going by memory. Uh, but anyway, it's, 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 it's dropped um, significantly, as far as I'm concerned. And the reason for that drop is because the perpetuation of the big lie. Which is? Which is that Trump won the election, that Biden stole the election. Well, wait a minute. Uh, if it, How does that lead to not believing that he was, uh, he fired up the insurrectionists and directed them, which he did. He fired them up, and then he directed them to the Capitol. Right, (laughs) right. You know. Because part of the lie that they've been telling over this time is that, um, that that is also set for it, is that there was no, no violence. It was a a peaceful protest. What what did the RNC say just the other day? that it was uh, a, yeah, what was the term they use now? Uh, you were talking about it earlier. Legitimate, legitimate political, political discourse. discourse. Yeah, right. So that's where they're, they're taking all this. Yeah. This is what's happening right now in the world, but particularly here, is everything is Orwellian. You know, like as Putin amasses all these troops to invade the Ukraine, he's 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 not going to use it. He's not. They just have it a practice or something, and um, that he's being at the same time he's being provoked by um, NATO because they are moving defenses in mm-hmm. against his troops. I mean, it's it's just a very bizarre world. Orwell and Kafka. Yeah. So what? what I th- yeah. I, I 
we're, I have not seen the poll itself, so I'm a, a little hesitant to uh, uh, take too much of a deep dive on it. But based on your reporting of it, which I assume is accurate, uh, what I think is going on uh, is that um, America just <laughs> does not want to confront what went down on January 6th. Uh, and um, that's probably what McConnell realizes as well, that you could just move on. You could just not talk about it uh, and that any uh, uh, effort to investigate it or talk about it will just revive the obvious connection between Donald Trump and the insurrection between Donald Trump and trying to steal. Yeah, the well, you know, this, OK, this is how they explain it. The Republicans. Uh is is that um, they don't want to be talking about something that happened in 2020. They want to talk about Biden now and inflation, Biden now and the border, yeah. uh, Biden now and his poor handling of Afghanistan. They need to be, they, those, these are the issues they're going to need in the midterms. Not, not re, re, um, re, Relitigating what happened in 2020, Trump, being Trump, <laughs> wants to talk about his victim, how he was victimized and cheated out of it, and therein lies the problem for the Republicans: is that uh, it's, it's Trump and, and what McConnell is trying to to deal with, because he doesn't. Trump, Trump, Trump is is a weight around. Um, his senator's neck, but they're the ones that need to get uh, reelected. Mm. The Republicans to give him the power back in the Senate. Trump is an albatross. Trumpism, Trump supporters, are where his power lies. So he's trying to figure out how to keep Trumpism while getting rid of Trump. Yes. And Trump doesn't want to be gotten rid of. Yeah. That's well done. Yeah. And the fact that somehow or other, and I, again, I had to look at the poll. Uh, my first thought was, uh Oh, this, this is a typical thing where, uh, y you know, just when people turn the page in this country, just move on. Uh, it's how country deals with uh, traumatic events yeah. in so many ways. I just, except it's not going to work now because we, we, we got some interesting days ahead in that um, at some point the, uh, January um, 6th committee in, in Congress is going to have hearings where they bring actual people in and they're going to be on TV retelling the tale and they're going to be playing those videos of, of them feeding the living daylights out of cops. And um, they're still going to have trouble finding the Antifa yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> and the Black Lives Matter people among the Trump crowd. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, uh, and, and by the way, you talk about a contradiction. Uh, one of the, uh, the, um, the theory put out uh, by uh, Fox and others that somehow or other, uh, this is an action of Antifa uh, is intended to make them look bad is directly contradicted by the uh, re ref uh, resolution passed by the Republican National Committee that calls it uh, 
legitimate political discourse. So it's it's one or the other Republicans. But no, the they have no. The problem is that they're painted in a corner. And there's no way out, uh, except either continuously like like Orwell. Uh, in 1984, just repeating and repeating, you keep telling the lie over and over again. You know, the war is peace. War is peace. You know, at some point, the, the war becomes peace because you've been you've heard it so much, and so that's what they're trying to do. But the January 6th committee is continuously telling us war is war. Now, the, uh, there is a danger with with the leaking of all this stuff they're doing on January 6th, strategically leaking it. But um, by doing that, there's a danger that at some point it's just going to be, okay, well, you know how the Republicans are and you know how Trump is, and it, that's, 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 that's normal. Yeah. That, and, do that, and so you're not outraged anymore. Yeah, that, and, and I... Uh, that's the normalization of Trump. I see it happening across the board on so many issues. Uh, and that is a, a, a frightening thing. Uh, and that's why it's so important that there is resistance, uh, you know, to outrageous behavior. So I think it is important to go back to the Joe Rogan conversation that Joe Rogan felt compelled, even if it was just like you said, Monroe, uh, because he wanted to keep that contract or he didn't want to jeopardize that contract to, uh, criticize his things he was doing like the day before uh i'm, I'm really curious for dave Chappelle, by the way just to close to, to weigh in on this he's friends with joe rogan he's been on right. the joe rogan show joe rogan toured with him right. uh you know I'm, he's been really quiet on this and uh i'm really curious well, all right know, yeah and my theory on that is he has he has his own fish being fried <laughs> so, with the with the whole gay, uh, yeah. well, tra- actually transgender. That's yeah. that's the one that hasn't been big trouble. And so, right. Let, let's more. move on to a, a different topic that I really want to hear uh, you discuss. Uh, this is really on my mind these days a lot. Everybody knows I'm a sports fanatic. Uh, my first love is basketball, but I also uh, my second love is football. I love watching football. I'm a little embarrassed to admit. And uh, Brian Flores, the former coach of the Miami Dolphins, his lawsuit against the NFL, he was fired uh, by the Dolphins, and he uh, subsequently filed a racial discrimination lawsuit. It's a fascinating read. I just wrote a column about it for the reader. I urge everybody to read the lawsuit. It's a um, it's 58 pages, so it's a bit of a read, but it re- it, the history background, the background he gives about the NFL and race, is very enlightening if you didn't know the history. Like, there was a ban on black players in the 30s and the 40s, an informal ban. Uh, and, of course, it goes up to the Colin Kaepernick uh, era, and then he gets into the, the way black coaches are treated in regard to white coaches. I have many theories about this uh, as to uh, what's going on and what's at play here. Uh, I was very impressed with Brian Flores uh, for his participation in the shows to talk about the new shows, news affairs shows, talk about his lawsuit. I was very impressed with his lawsuit. And my column begins by saying the Bears should have immediately hired him as their coach uh, as soon as he was fired by the Miami Dolphins. Uh, Monroe, I know you're a football fan. You follow football closely. You follow this uh, story I'm, closely. I'm a, I'm a Bears fan. I'm Bears not, fan. Yeah, yeah, I guess yeah, that's different yeah. than saying you're a football fan. Right. Uh, well, you watch the Super Bowl, won't you? Bears. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, I watch the Super Bowl. Yeah. 
and I'm not. So and, uh, and I watched the playoffs. I mean, they, yeah, you're they, a football they, fan. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you just want to admit it, right? <laughs> that was the most unbelievable denial of reality. Yeah, right? Uh, no, because I mean, <laughs> this year it was absolutely with those close call games, the final second game. Yeah. It was just so fascinating that it, I mean, it, it was high drama. So. All right, so what's going on here, Monroe, in your in your estimation? Uh, motivating the white owners of football teams not to hire black men as their coaches. Take it away. Because they're not, you know, they're not comfortable around black black men. They are, um, they're oligarchs, and so they get to do whatever they want to. That's how their life is. When, 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 you, when you when you have a billion dollars, then you tell people what what you want them to do. You don't do what people want you to want you to do. And they're not comfortable around black men uh, as equals. They don't believe that black men are equal because that's not their social circle. I mean, you know, there's so, there are few black billionaires, and it's like Oprah and Jay Z and people like that. So. Even then, they are they wouldn't be comfortable around them um, at, at ha- having a, a glass of champagne or something. Uh, but let me tell you this: this happened last night. Reverend Al, I think it was last night. I'm pretty sure it might have been this morning. Reverend Al came up with a way to fight these guys, and what he says is that they are all getting taxpayer money breaks through their stadiums and what have you. So on on state with state legislators and municipal legislators and, and, and politicians, they need to tell them, give us a timetable on what you're gonna do to have have this integrated or we're not gonna give you any more money. You're gonna have to pay for it yourself. And and he he says that will work, and I think he is right, because um, the only thing that um, oligarchs hate more than you telling them what to do is you taking some of their money away from them. <laughs> because, yeah, because I've, I've known rich men, and they, I, I think, I've known them, I mean, I, they weren't friends of mine, but I've, I've encountered them. And the, they rank each other by how much money they have. This is why Trump has always lied about how rich he was. Because the ranking is the more money you have, then the more powerful you are. Well, that's a, uh, it's a, it's a good suggestion from uh, Reverend Al. I'll just point it out on the local level. The Chicago Bears are right now uh, playing Chicago versus Arlington Heights. Uh, right. As to who will build them the, the better stadium for them to play in, uh, my I've said this all along. I put it in print. My bet is that Arlington Heights will ultimately build the Bears exactly what they want and pay for it primarily with uh, local taxes through a, a, as a TIF deal. I'm pretty sure that's how this thing is going to go down if it happens in Arlington Heights. And uh, uh, so, yeah, not that many black politicians in Arlington Heights. So. This they is not going to be an issue, out. right? In our right, right. Uh, and in Chicago, uh, uh, you know, I've I could 
I could just see the vague promises. Well, first of all, the, the Bears did hire. Jonathan uh, Jackson is running for Bobby Rush's seat. Where do you think his position would be on this? Naturally, Jonathan. and particularly now that he's <laughs> would have an issue. Uh, that, that's a valid point. Jonathan Jackson, of course, is the son of Rush, Reverend Jesse Lewis Jackson, who was articulating uh, putting economic pressure on corporations uh, to get them to hire more black people when it, Reverend Al was still in diapers. Right. Uh, so that's actually not true. So that's rhetorical fancy, but he's been doing it for a long time. Uh, and so, yeah, yeah, your point's well taken. I'm just saying that in Chicago, when there's a business deal, I've noticed that uh, hiring black people is like a promise. Oh, yeah, we'll do this down the road as opposed to something they literally do right now, if you follow what I mean. Oh, yeah, no, the, 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 the reason your favorite mayor uh, was able to get the, the um, Cabrini Green raised and, um, and um, Wells and some other public housing projects is because he put together a special committee as opposed to, to uh, come up with a way of integrating poor blacks into various neighborhoods with decent housing. And so they're going to tear down those terrible public houses, housing, which where, where their, their <laughs> lease was expiring. You know, they had, the city had a contract with the feds that they had to keep these public housing up for 40 years or something. I forget what the number is. But, it, but they had to keep them up for a certain amount of time. All that was coming to an end, which gave Daly a free hand to tear them down and let rich white people move on that very valuable land. I, I was laughing, not at uh, the outrage of what Daly did, but at the... Uh, the outrage of what Monroe said at the start of his uh, riff, M- your favorite mayor. <laughs> uh, I just have to let that one go. Uh, sometimes well, you just I, gotta let the bait go. Right, well, I know sometimes you like you like Rom more, but <laughs> <laughs> I often think about this. Ultimately, who did I dislike more as mayor, Mayor Daly or Mayor Rom? That's a tough one. That's really tough. Uh, I will say this. Uh, hands down, Mayor Daley has been a less offensive post-mayor than Rom. Yeah, because he's, just laughed. He, 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 he's, he, he's someplace happily with his black girlfriend. <laughs> so, okay. right. That's Monroe. That's not bad. Address your concerns to Monroe. Get in trouble again. Troublemaker. <laughs> Uh, all right, Monroe, uh, it's a blast talking to you. We covered a lot of ground there, and um, I think that uh, I'll hold off till next week uh, the Richard Irvin thing. I was going to play. I have Dennis play the Richard Irvin thing, but we'll hold off that till next week. you got to hear this to believe it. It's one of our favorite bits. Richard Irvin, of course, is running for uh, governor of the um, – from uh, as Kenny G's candidate in the Republican primary, we we open the show with Richard Durbin's bit, so we'll hold yeah, that up. He, he may not be a candidate by this time next week, but we'll see. Oh, he will definitely be a candidate. I, I'll bet you money in uh, <laughs> uh, in Vegas on that one. Uh, Kenny G's not going to give up on him uh, so quickly just because he has no clue as to what his stance on abortion is. <laughs> it's pretty funny, Monroe. <laughs> The man's running. Uh, you're running as a Republican, Irvin. You can't be for abortion. 
Anyway, all right, Monroe Anderson, thank you very much uh, for coming on as you do uh, every Wednesday. It's always a blast talking to you. Pride and joy, Gary, Indiana, Monroe Anderson. So thank you very much. Also, want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, pride and joy of all Illinois, without whom the show would be possible. And as Monroe Anderson and Joe Rogan will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D. The D stands for the marvelous. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Mm-hmm.